in front. They slap it. They score! It's the hat trick for Pasternak. Here's a giveaway, and Matthews in. He's doubled down tonight, and in double figures with his tip. The beauty about sports is that it forces you to deal with so many life experiences, whether you like it or not. There's certain stuff that kids just have to deal with, and it's going to help them be better people later on. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Our Line Starts with Patrick Sharp and Anson Carter. I'm Catherine Tappan. Post-Super Bowl, guys, what a game. Uh, kind of fun to witness history once again. I know, I think you guys both picked the Chiefs, didn't you? Uh, maybe Sharpie did, not me, <laughs> I win every year. I'm a bandwagon jumper. I knew TB12 was going to get it done all along. Yeah, I did pick the Chiefs, but only because Jonesy had the Bucks, so I went against Jonesy. But in my heart, I wanted to see Tom Brady win another one. He continues to impress. Uh, man, I'm pretty jealous. Seven rings already. He's not slowing down. I wouldn't be surprised if he's right back there a year from now. Yeah, your three rings aren't looking so impressive. Anymore, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I got to stop saying I got three now. If he's got <laughs> you got to come out of retirement soon and get, get a couple more. You know, it made me think, though, guys, you know, I was watching that game and you just put in perspective seven championships. And I had to go back and, you know, look at some Google and look at who's got the most championships with NHL. And I mean, you think about way, way back in the 50s through the 70s, those championship runs that the Montreal Canadiens had and Henri Richard. And immediately I thought of Larry Robinson. You know, he's got 10 cups, but of course, six of them as a player. So didn't quite get seven as a player, four more with management. I mean, it just blows your mind to think that Tom Brady has been doing this at this level. And you guys are both retired from the game at the, about the same age that, that he is now performing at this level. It's just so, it's so unbelievable. I couldn't help but sit there and watch and, and process how historic this moment was. What was impressive to me, guys, answer was like, He's got a bunch of rings after the age of 37. Is it four championships after the age of 37? Usually people slow down in their mid-30s. He seems to have figured something out uh, to get better. He didn't get hit once all game. You know, that's a huge positive. He knows how to get rid of the ball. Uh, he's moving well. When that snap went over his head and there was like a fumble. Oh, my gosh, yeah. In the, in the second <laughs> half, he was moving better at 43 than he was – when he was a rookie in the league. So he's doing something right, and it's, it's impressive to sit back and watch it all. And it's not just his love for the game, Sharpie. It's his love for the preparation to play the game. Because I knew I was done when I didn't want to work out in the summertime anymore. I knew those 6 a.m. workouts, the plyometrics, the beach runs, the bike rides, the lifting weights. When you're in it and you're hungry, you're passionate, you don't mind doing that. You don't mind sacrificing going to the club, hanging out with your buddies, because that's what you love doing. But when you're in the tail end of your career – Getting up at 6 a.m. doesn't seem like that's that much fun. I mean, I know you love getting up to play your shinny hockey now, <laughs> but you're a different bird than I am. I knew I was done when I didn't want to work out and prepare for the season to come up again. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I like sleeping in these days. I don't even want to wake up to get my kids to Zoom class for school on time. <laughs> Zoom class. Imagine <laughs> if they had to go to real school, Sharpie. You'd be in That's trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, enough about the Super Bowl. It was fun to watch. Uh, man, what a performance. But, guys, we've had some issues in the NHL with COVID lately and uh, the rescheduling of games, the cancellation of games, um, players, of course, and members of management Um, testing positive or being in close proximity, which has caused a lot of uh, upheaval in the NHL and in particular here in the United States. And I'm just curious to get your guys' thoughts, you know, if there's a solution here. The NHL modified some of their protocols last week, removing the glass behind the benches, for example, to take uh, allow some more airflow into that region. But, you know, this is a sport that doesn't lend itself to players coming off the field like we saw at the Super Bowl and in the NFL and putting their masks back on. It just can't work that way. So are there any more solutions that we can come up with that uh, we might see down the road here? I think it's going to be tough, KT. You know, I think this is with us to stay until every player gets vaccinated. But I also believe the NHL's built protocols into the schedule. I mean, I don't think this was unexpected. I think they thought about every possible scenario that could happen, looking at what other leagues have gone through. So, yes, it stinks having to postpone games, but I believe the schedule makers, they came up with the schedule, uh, they had these things in mind so they will be able to flex some games so that we'll be able to get the proper amount of games in in the right amount of time. Hey, you're asking us, KT? Anson and I are supposed to have the answers to this? I mean, yes. I think the right people are in charge when it comes to the schedule and protocols and, and how to kind of walk through this process together. Uh, other leagues have gone through it. I know when baseball, football started up, it seemed like right at the beginning, all these teams were, were testing positive and having to miss games, but they seem to get through it. Uh, just fine. I like the fact that these teams in the NHL are playing the same team back to back, get to stay in the same city for a couple nights. I mean, I, I don't have the answer. I'm trying to navigate it myself, you know, going back and forth to Stanford and, and staying out of trouble and just getting my broadcast done. So hopefully everything works out well. Uh, it is killing my fantasy team, though. I had a lot of <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights, a lot of Colorado Avalanche. And last week they didn't really play. So I got waxed in my league. Um, to it down to a two and two record so hopefully that doesn't happen too many more times my goodness it's all that sharpie right ace always <laughs> it's all good sharpie i'm making up with it for my tom brady pick for the super bowl so it's all good <laughs> <laughs> well guys uh the tom brady of the nhl right now i, I think it's got to be david posternock he returns to the lineup for the boston bruins last week on wednesday night hockey i mean we love watching pasta play and he's so dynamic and he immediately made his presence felt. He had a hat trick. He had the game-winning assist um, on the game-winning goal against the Flyers last week. And then you look at his addition to this Bruins lineup and how well Boston was already playing prior to his re-entry back into the, into the lineup. And you have to wonder, and you know, this Bruins team is probably likely the favorites to win this East. Sharpie, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I probably would at this point, but again, we're 10 to 15 games into the season. It's tough to make those statements and say they're, they're the favorite or they're going to do it. After all, we just spoke about the COVID stuff. Uh, this season could take a left turn in a hurry, but it did sure seem normal to see Pasta back on the Bruins lineup. Three goals to make that comeback victory against the Flyers. A lot of people thinking the Flyers have a deep team and have a chance to win and then same old scenario with the Boston Bruins. They keep the game close, and it's that top line. It's the power play that cashes in and steals a couple victories from them uh, last week. I like the Bruins. Uh, Capitals, I think, have a, a lot to say with what happens in this division. They've been hit with a lot of injuries, suspensions, some COVID stuff. 
So we'll see what they look like when they have a full lineup going. I still like their size, their speed. Chara joining the Caps gives him that edge. He fits right in with the physicality that they bring. Uh, I mentioned the Flyers have a good squad. The Islanders have yet to show their best. We saw them in the return to play last year. I love the way to have that team structure. And I think Beauvillier being out of lineups really hurt their offense more than, than we've mentioned. Um, as far as the other teams, I enjoy watching New York and the New Jersey, Buffalo. I think they're up and coming, but the previous teams that I mentioned have the best chance. So if you're asking me to pick a favorite, sure, I'll go with the Bruins because uh, when Pasta's in that lineup, man, are they a fun team to watch. Sharpie, you just nailed all those other teams, so I'm not going to go into detail because you covered everything I wanted to say about those other teams. The one point I want to bring up, though, I love the Boston Bruins because of Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. When I look at the other teams in those in that division that you mentioned that have a chance, I'm not so sure about their goaltending. But Tuka Rask for me and Halak are as about as sure things as you're going to find in that division. So that's the reason why I'm giving the Boston Bruins, in addition to Pasta on the perfection line and Bergeron and Craig Smith and Marshawn or Marshan, whichever way he's pronouncing his name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the goaltending for me with the Boston Bruins that I think is going to be the reason why they win the division. Yeah, you, we've talked about it from the start of the season, how important the two-headed monster net is going to be for any team with this abbreviated season and the amount of games they're playing. And, you know, we saw yesterday Washington pulled their goalie after that James Van Riemsdyk goal. Um, and, you know, the Flyers have had some injuries with Carter Hart and then Brian Elliott. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a, a question mark. And the Bruins have that dynamic duo in net. So, and I think Tuka Rask is, you know, he's a gamer and I'm sure he's ready to come back and help lead his team after having to leave the bubble last year for personal reasons. And he's back and, and probably wants to prove to the Bruins fans and to his teammates that he's here and, and he's ready to hopefully win another cup. I know he was the backup for Tim Thomas in 2011. Well, I'm sure. Doesn't, fans- it, doesn't it just seem KT that the Bruins are going to end up playing the Capitals in the playoffs at some point and it's going to be Chara <laughs> facing his old team. Yeah. We're going to be sitting here talking about that matchup. I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, well, I'll lead you to that one then Sharpie. With the one there. <laughs> That'd be a great matchup though in the East. My goodness. Um, what I was about to say was I think Leafs fans are going to be probably mad at me that I called David Pasternak the Tom Brady at the moment because Austin Matthews uh, arguably is the Tom Brady of the league right now. Uh, lighting it up for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's take a look at the odds here uh, presented by points bet for the Rocket Richard Trophy winner. There's a lot of superstars on this list, guys. Austin Matthews leading the way right now, but Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. We've got Pasta in there with just a handful of games under his belt since returning. Ovechkin, who we saw against the Flyers, was incredible with four points on Sunday afternoon. Kyle Connor, Tyler Toffoli, who's been giving it to his former team in Vancouver, Miko Rantanen. You look at this list, guys, and do you think that Austin Matthews is going to lead the league in goals when all is said and done? I certainly think so. And I think it's because the weapons he plays with. He's got John Tavares on the other line. So now you really can't load up against Austin Matthews because you need to worry about Tavares' line. He has Mitch Marner, one of the best playmakers in the National Hockey League. He's got Zach Hyman, a worker bee that's able to dig out pucks in his line. But they also have Morgan Rod on the back end. So when I look at goal scorers, I look at guys who they have around them. And for centermen, the puck's always on your stick. So that also helps be a goal center. Most of the time you talk about centermen, KT, you're talking about distributors and guys that make plays. But Austin Matthews is that rear centerman that we have in the National Hockey League that's a shoot-first centerman. So having that mentality and having the puck on his stick a lot, I think that has the potential for Austin Matthews to lead the league in scoring this year. Yeah, Jonesy was talking about that yesterday a bit too, AC, is that 
you don't really see a center iceman as the trigger man a whole lot of times. I mean, yeah, Connor McDavid can score goals, Dreisaitl as well, but we think of those guys more of point producers than goal scorers. Austin Matthews, to me, is the favorite to win the Rocket Richard. I put Pasta right there. Uh, a lot of it's going to come down to games played, health, all that stuff of the team. Uh, every player on that list has a good surrounding cast that's going to feed them the puck. One guy we didn't mention too much is Kyle Connor in Winnipeg. He's the kind of a forgotten goal scorer. He plays with Blake Wheeler, who can move the puck. Mark Shifley, who's an excellent center iceman, moves it well. Uh, he's kind of the guy that finishes there, either a power play or five on five. So he'd be a guy I'd keep an eye on as well. But um, for the sake of today's podcast, I'll give it to Austin Matthews at this point as, as winning the trophy. We didn't even mention Alex Ovechkin, who had a pretty good game with two goals and two assists the other day, uh, looking like he's ready to, to reclaim his title as the Rocket Richard Trophy winner as well. Sharp, yeah. are you talking the same Kyle Connor that looks like the skinny guy from Nintendo Hockey? That same <laughs> Kyle Connor? Same guy. He's quick, dangerous. He knows where to go to score goals, Anson. Doesn't matter if he's the skinny guy. <laughs> we need to run that in at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say the same for Wayne Simmons, and he's helping out a lot with that team in Toronto. But same, similar type of build there, Ace. And we've always said that about Wayne Simmons. It's incredible how strong he is and how fierce he is on the ice. And But he's got uh, you know long and lean jeans there, so... <laughs> Somehow he finds a way to, to get the job done. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's currently, I think, injured right now. I think he hurt his hand the last game. So the Wayne train will be up. But you're right, KT. He's wiry just like Kyle Connors. He's just a little bit meaner than Kyle Connors, though. So that opens up a little bit more room on the ice for him. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Asa, you had a chance to sit down with Florida Panthers assistant general manager, Brett Peterson, the first black assistant GM in the National Hockey League for your YouTube series, Hockey Culture. So I want to take a listen to that. Uh, I listened to it. It was an incredible interview. And then I want to get your thoughts afterwards. Um, so let's take a listen to Brett Peterson. Welcome to Hockey Culture. This is the place where we try to change the culture of hockey one interview at a time. And today's guest we have joining us, Florida Panthers assistant general manager, Brett Peterson. Brett, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a very special day for hockey culture because you're the first black assistant general manager in the National Hockey League. But I want to take it back 
to your upbringing first, because I'm always curious when I have guests on the show, especially guests of color, uh, what was the thing about hockey that got you interested in playing? Because it wasn't because you saw a ton of black players playing out there on the ice, that's for sure. Yeah, well, for me, I think I was kind of thrust into it at a young age, just uh, by accident, really. And, um, and I just took a liking to being, I think, a little bit different than most of the well, first of all, I, I was so young. My parents just put me out there. You, you know, when you're that young, you just you just show up and you do what you're told, right? So, but I, as I grew up, I, I think I took a liking to uh, being different than most of the people that were my family t- playing the you know historical sports, and uh, it kind of provided me an avenue to just make my own thing. So um, that's what that with you know the team the team atmosphere, and then obviously ice and all that stuff. So that's, that's why, that's how I stuck with it. I mean, growing up in Boston, uh, the Massachusetts area, it's a hockey town, just like Toronto, original six market. I had to battle my parents. They're from the Caribbean, originally Barbados to get me on the ice. You said your parents threw you out there. I mean, yeah. were they hockey fans before you yourself fell in love with the game? Nope. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a negative. <laughs> So, no, that my background, they, they had, um, my, my mother was helping out, um, at the time when I started playing, we were living in, um, in Albany, New York, and, uh, she was helping out a hockey program there, college and the coach part of the, um, I guess the agreement with her getting paid to do that was, you know, take my crazy kid who has way too much energy and do something with him for 45 minutes. So, they just put me on the ice and I pushed crates around in between drills of the college team. And uh, that's how I get started. Did you encounter any sort of racism as a minor hockey player growing up at all? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, various different um, levels, um, you know, and there's always, you know, I guess when, when we were growing up at that age, there was, or what, there certainly wasn't as much representation as there is now. So even when you didn't encounter it in your mind, you're always waiting for it to hit. Right. So, um, but I did. And, and I was lucky enough to have, to have a lot of good people around me all the time. So I think that, um, you know, when things did come up, they were, they were dealt with in you know, a proper manner and, and we moved on. What advice would you give parents or other kids coming up playing the game to help them if they encounter these situations what advice would you pass along that allowed you to get to that next level because you played college hockey you played pro level so you're able to push through all that negativity well I think first thing is is to don't quit you know just keep moving forward and and and, and use your situation to make you know this situation that you just dealt with uh, better for somebody else um you know take a hit and keep moving forward. So, um, and then for parents, I think that the beauty about sports is that they force, it forces you to deal with so many life experiences, whether you like it or not. Right. So um, I think for parents at some point you, 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 there's certain stuff that kids just have to deal with and it's going to help them be better people later on. Now take a hit and keep it moving. That's great advice. I always say you develop that muscle falling down and getting back up again. Uh, talking about life experience you gather from playing sports, are you able to have that experience, but then take your game to the next level competing at Boston College? Now there is BU versus BC, and I played for the Boston Bruins. I know how crazy it is in that city when it comes to college hockey. Why did you choose Boston College? 
well, well Greer's year already had BU, right? <laughs> he was so so. I I figured we let's sprinkle it over to BC. No, it's I, the 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 biggest thing was when I was going through the process. Uh, you know, I went to various different. You know, the recruitment process. You you're visiting different schools and. You know, something about Boston College is just a, such a beautiful place. It's nestled right in the city. And, and um, you know, it, it was basically like a, a dream come true. You know, and I was a big fo- college football fan. So we had really good college football teams. And then, of course, there's Jerry York, who is Jerry York. So it was pretty much, uh, I remember when I went on my visit and coming back, my parents were telling me like, so, you know, you can think through this. And I was like, I don't, what are we thinking about? What <laughs> this is the place. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, so it, you know, it was kind of love at first sight. It's funny you mentioned Greerzy. I played with Greerzy. We call him Rosie, too, in, in Edmonton. But when I was playing college hockey at Michigan State, everyone kept talking about the other black player playing out east at yeah. BU. I tried to pit myself against him. And, you know, I did a, a, spe- a special with him, actually, with John Saunders. Um, and it was unbelievable, called Black Ice. And I learned a lot yeah. about Mike Greer. And people tried to pit us against each other. You know, I was yeah. like, He's not doing what I'm doing. Like, we're each doing our own thing, so there's no competition here. There could be more than one black hockey player in the National Hockey League. But what was your experience as a student athlete there at BC? Oh, it was tremendous. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a place where, uh, you know, because of the, the institution, you're forced to, you know, really be a student and an athlete. And, um, you know, it, it helped me uh, for myself into uh, a better professional um, just with management in, in terms of staying on task and, and setting tasks and getting things done in a timely manner. And then, you know, competing at a high level, because when we were there, the expectation was always very similar to you when you were at Michigan State was a national championship. Um, and anything short of that just wasn't acceptable. So um, that was our mindset every day. And that also the beauty about being a student athlete is you can't have one without the other. So, you know, that was, that was, you know, kind of instilled in me right away. I, I thought I was going to be able to slide by there, but you know, they, they did a great job with academic support and giving us so many resources to help ourselves, but you, you had to, you had to be a student too, which was uh, something that I'm forever grateful for. Was your experience different than you think being a black player playing college hockey? And the reason why I ask you this is the first time I be, became aware that I was a black hockey player was when I was asked by a reporter when during my college years, how does it feel being a black hockey player? I looked at him like he had three heads. Goes like, well, how does it feel being a white reporter? And he looked yeah. back at me and he's like, okay, I see exactly what you mean. And then there's yeah. another example when I first went to the cafeteria, I was there with my teammates and I walked in the cafeteria after getting my food. I looked around and I saw all the black students sitting in one area and all the white students sitting everywhere else. So I yeah. grabbed my plate of food with my teammates. I sat down. And one of my good college friends, name is Brad Fields. He ran track at state. He's like, "Hey, bro, like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you sitting over there for?" Because I was getting dessert, of course. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> then, well, I'm with my friends. I'm like, "Well, why don't you come sit over here with us?" But I didn't know anybody on campus. I just knew my freshman class, and that was it. And you know what, Brett? By the end of my freshman year, we had white athletes sit with black athletes, black athletes sit with white athletes. It didn't really matter. But I was very aware when I first walked in that first day that things were a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny. People ask the very similar kind of uh, along those lines. Like, you know, have you ever, do you ever feel the way? And I, I've always just tried to, you know, uh, circulate to really good people. So mm-hmm. I, I just saw people. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, now I'd be lying to you if I didn't know that I was different in terms of kind of representation, but um, I guess I just held everyone uh, to a higher standard that they were going to accept me as, you know, a good person and a pretty good hockey player. Boston College was great because of there is um, a fair amount of diversity. Um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of different sports. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of people that actually looked like me. They just didn't play hockey. Um, so it was, it was easier, you know, the hard, I guess the hardest thing uh, there for me was trying to get the, the students of color to understand why I played hockey. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know that was the hardest thing because they just never seen that. So, um, you know, and then once we we got past that, it was great. Yeah, I had those same conversations too. Uh, the president of the Black Student Caucus Association, he actually his dorm was right across from mine, and he was like, "Hockey?" He's like, "Brothers play hockey." I was like, "Man, you should come to a game. You should see." And then yeah. he was sold after coming to a couple of games that it didn't really matter what color you were as long as you're willing to battle and compete. Uh, that's all that mattered. I mean, I'm yeah. looking at your resume as a player when you played, and I'm jealous. I mean, not only are you an assistant general manager, which is I'm very proud of you, but you won a national championship. That's the one yeah. thing that I always wanted when I went to school. We never had the goaltending. We had good teams. We, the yeah. goaltending always fell a little bit short, but you won a national championship at Boston College. What was that experience like? Oh, I mean, it was amazing. Um, you know, prior to me getting to Boston College, they, BC had gone to three frozen fours and fallen short. Um, and um, the year that we had won it, we had just great leadership and, you know, uh, Brian Jonta, Scotty Clementson, Brooks Orpik, a bunch of guys. It was one of the most amazing teams I'd been a part of because you, you go, get to the rink every day and you worked hard, you played hard, but at the same time, we never thought that we would lose a game or be out of it, you know, <laughs> ever. It was it was amazing. I remember we lost one game that year uh, to Yale, and it was like usually, you know, when you lose a game, it's you know everyone's moping around, salty. But it was such a fluke that it it, it was like the radio was right back on, and you know, <laughs> let's shake this thing out, and we'll be back tomorrow. It was it was amazing. So it was a great group of guys led by you know a lot of great older leadership, and then obviously coaching staff with you know. Yorkie was just he's just a calming figure so you you have that much talent in one room and it was going to work out so what kind of influence did coach York have on your career uh while you at BC and even post BC he recruited me when he was at Bowling Green and we still stay in touch when I'm in my involvement due to college hockey but he's one of the the most solid people that I know the most influential people that I know not only putting a lot of pros in the National Hockey League but developing a lot of solid young men the list that goes on and on. The man that he's impacted over the course of his time as a coach at college hockey. Talk about your relationship with York and what he's meant for you in your career. Well, I mean, he's, he's a living legend, right? So um, whenever you can get two cents from the guy, it's probably invaluable information for you, you know, or the, whoever he's talking to. So um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that impressed upon me about Boston College was, is, you know, you, you went in there as, you know, an 18-year-old kid, thinking that you were a superstar and then you came out of there, came out of there a 20 something year old young man. And um, they gave you the tools, uh, especially Jerry gave you the tools uh, to be that person and, you know, know that you stand for certain things and, you know, have a, you know, a a very uh, good involvement in your faith and then be a teammate and also be a good professional. So 
uh, that was the biggest thing for me about the college experience was is it, it, it formed me into, you know, a, a young man. And as a college hockey player, you want to play either in the Great Lakes Invitational, if you're like a Michigan Big Ten type yeah. player, or if you're out east, you want to play in the Beanpot. And there's yeah. several times I sat in the stands watching Beanpot games. What was that experience like having the arena full with all your Boston area college teams going to battle trying to win that trophy? Well, I mean, once you once you got rid of the the jitters, then it was a blast. But, you know, I mean, there was nothing better than the two first Mondays in February playing against. And in Boston, most of these kids at that time at the colleges, they were all guys that you played with growing up from different high schools. And, you know, there was no love lost at all across the street. And it was you lost friendships where, you know, certain guys you played high school with and they went to BU and you went to BC and you're like, all right, well, we'll get, I'll get you after the four years, you know? So uh, that's what it was. And it was, it was a battle. The the building would vibrate when you'd come to that championship game. And, you know, there was just such a source of pride because, you know, Boston's such a, uh, a town that is, you know, you're, where you, what neighborhood are you from? Where, you, you know, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What high school did you go to? So, <laughs> you know, you took that right into that locker room and, and, and you battled. So it was, it was a blast. Yeah. I could speak for that. I know friends at Medford and Dorchester. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. Yeah. now you leave BC, you turn pro, uh, you played in the monitor for a little bit. You decided to become an agent. What led to that decision? You end up working with Bill Zito um, as an agent with eventually led to your current position with the Florida Panthers. Well, I think maybe the Boston college thing hit. I started to do the math of where I was at with at the time Grand Rapids. And I was like, ah, these numbers don't look good for me. <laughs> so you got a, long, got a long ways to go here. So, um, you know, uh, it had an amazing opportunity to, you know, something that I knew that I was going to get involved in the sports agency business when I was in school and um, the opportunity came up um, and I just had to jump on it because I thought it was the best time for me to kind of segue with my playing background into the business side and, and to work with uh, a guy like Billy, that those opportunities don't come up often. So, you know, it was, it, it was, it was, um, it was kind of bittersweet because I, I had concluded my career, but at the same time, I looked at it as, you know, kind of a continuation of my career. And people always ask and talk about, well, what's the NHL doing now? What's hockey doing now? And I always point to yourself and your hiring as assistant general manager of the Florida Panthers, because Vinny Viola is on the Executive Inclusion Council. And I don't know how hands-on he was with Bill Zito in terms of making giving you the green light to be hired, but I know Vinny Viola signs those checks at the end of the day. And yeah. Bill Zito has to run those ideas and those suggestions up the flagpole. So we're already starting to see the impact of people being on the Executive Inclusion Council and what players are doing my Players Inclusion Committee. Uh, speak about what you, where you see hockey today and where you see hockey in the next 10 or 15 years. I think, you know, we're so many fun things are happening. We're, we're starting to really evolve this degree, the game that we've all loved. And I think we're, we're trying to thrust it forward, I guess, into a little bit of, um, you know, present day. Right. And, you know, hockey players are different now. Like they're, it's a different hockey player that played than when I played. And, and I think there's, you know, with all that we've gone through thus far, the, the world is different and COVID is, is been very bad, but it's also been very great because it's off. It's opened up some new conversations and some new opportunities. And um, I guess some, some more forward thinking. 
And um, Mr. Viola is, is taking a huge step in that with bringing, you know, I guess, um, you know, his vision to the NHL. And quite frankly, that, that's what we need. We need people that are, that are excited to, you know, kind of keep moving this forward or this world forward. And they, they have the, the platform and the position to do so. So, um, you know, I'm, you know, grateful for the opportunity and um, I'm looking forward to see what we keep, uh, can build on. For any black players that are out there, or players of color for that matter, that are interested in becoming an AGM, tell me what your day-to-day looks like and what your responsibilities are, just so someone out there is watching this thinking, I want to be an AGM one day, and this sounds kind of fascinating to me. Maybe there's something that might be of interest for me to pursue down the line. Well, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's busy. It's, it's busy, <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, um, you know, I mean, a lot of my day-to-day is, is checking in on, you know, where our prospects are. Um, what their current status is, you know, getting their metrics in terms of how they've, they've progressed in practices that week and, and their games, um, as well as kind of heading up with our, um, our player development uh, department, uh, kind of the new players that we, we might be looking at, um, and then helping out with uh, Billy and Paul Kafalka on the big club with any sort of um, moves or tweaks or all that stuff. So it's, it's um, you know, kind of, jumping around, which is different from the agent um, world where you're kind of focused in on one player and that one player's problems and, and, you know, triumphs. Um, now you're, you've kind of got your, you know, you've got a bunch of different baskets here at the NHL level where you've got player development, you've got current players, you've got, um, you know, another whole side where we're doing uh, some foundation stuff in terms of Fort, uh, in the Fort Lauderdale, Broward County area um, and trying to really get more people on the ice and, and grow the game in that area so there's a lot of kind of uh, balls in the air at all times and um, you know the the AGM rule I think from what I can see is it's it's more about kind of having first of all having a great staff with you but then you know being you know targeted and doc you know uh, concise with regards to what you have to do day to day and what those tasks are because as soon as you start doing one thing you get torn in a different direction so you got to make sure that you complete your task every day. So how important was your, your college hockey background to becoming an AGM? You know, I always say that not everyone's fortunate enough to go pro come to NHL when it comes to sports or hockey, but everyone has the opportunity to go pro when it comes to business. And now you've been able to dabble a little bit of both. So how important was the fact that you went to college and you went and played college hockey at Boston College with uh, your success and what your plans to do with the future? It was invaluable. I think that, you know, it, it taught you know how to have stay on task and how to complete task as well as um, you know, biggest thing in college is time management, especially the student athlete, right? It's time management is everything. So you've got to figure out how to not waste any uh, minutes out of the day. Um, and, you know, the day starts for me around five thirty six, and depending on what we're, who's playing, it, it concludes around 1130. So, you know, you're, it's, it's sun up to sundown and then you gotta, you gotta do your job. You gotta do multiple jobs and then you gotta make sure that you're, you're spending enough time with the family too. So it's a, it's a full day. (laughs) (laughs) Has it ever crossed your mind when you became the first black assistant general manager? Like when we're playing, we just see ourselves as being players, right? But then you keep getting asked the question and people present this statement to you, like the first black assistant general manager in the national hockey league. Is this something that you thought of before someone like myself? asked you about it no I mean I think 
like you said, like you're playing to start, right? And you just, you know, that when I was growing up, the whole goal is to get to the National Hockey League. And, and then, then you start to kind of grow more and you say, all right, well, there's a bunch of different things that you can do surrounding the National Hockey League and the sports, it's sports in general. Um, so I think, you know, as I grew up and evolved, you know, as a man, you started to think about, wow, well, maybe these are some opportunities that we should look at too. And, and you can still kind of, um, you know, live, live a dream. So, you know, I, I, I actually told somebody just recently, like, I, I feel lucky because uh, to this point, I, I've never had to do anything that I didn't want to do. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my parents always tell me that, listen, Bajan people from Barbados always have these sayings. My parents always say, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And I haven't worked yet to this day. And I continue to hope that that's the case going forward. That's for sure. Yes. (laughs) Uh, When you're an agent on the agent side of the business, did you ever have any instances where a player didn't want to be represented by a black agent? And the reason why I'm asking you this, because I know that there's a black hockey player that played the National Hockey League that didn't want to have black representation, which is like so messed up and so backwards. It baffles me, but... Have, did you ever encounter or experience anything like that from any of the players you tried to recruit? Oh, you know what? Like, not not directly, Anson. Um, I think kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Like, you know that it exists, and um, you know that some people in some places, this is not going to be their cup of tea, and they're not going to see, you know, uh, the value for, you know, the education, the experience, the brand, the company, none of that, right? They're just going to judge a book by its cover. Um, so I, I always took the approach where, you know, you always give people the benefit of the doubt and I can't change anybody's mind of what they've made their mind up to, but I've always found that more often than not, if, if people got to meet me and sat down, they, they would have a completely different opinion of what actually this is. We're definitely reading from the same book of life. <laughs> That's for <laughs> sure. And listen, when I had locks, I had people that would cross the street when I would, they see me coming and then they get a little close. Oh, Hanson, it's you. I didn't know it was yeah. you. I'm like, what do you mean I didn't know it was me? What, what are you yeah. talking about? So I know exactly what you're saying. I give people the benefit of the doubt, and then I treat people how I want to be treated. So I totally agree 100% with that philosophy. On that note, I want to thank you for joining us on Hockey Culture. I'm so pumped and so proud. I texted you when I saw that you, uh, you landed that job there in Florida as an AGM. And yes, I'll did. be watching you intently because one day, hopefully, you might be the first or you will be the first general manager, black general manager of the National Hockey League. So thank you. Your text meant a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I was I was so pumped when Bill Douglas had told me, I was like, man, yeah, this is this is this is great stuff. We talk about representation. Well, that's important because now there's people out there that think, hey, maybe I could achieve that one day. That glass ceiling doesn't exist anymore. And who knows? I could be a team general manager. I could be a team president. I could own a team. Like, who knows? But seeing you doing it the way you're doing it right now, very proud because you've got that job based on merit. Nobody there in Florida is checking any boxes. When you look at what you're looking for as AGM, what you've done in your career, on and off the ice, you check all those boxes. So, good stuff, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you. All of Anson's conversations can be found at youtube.com slash hockey culture. I would encourage everyone to listen to them. They're, they're just amazing. Each week, Ace, the different um, cast of characters you've had on. But, I, you know, listening to Brett Peterson, what stood out to you most with your conversation with him? There's a perfect example, KT, of somebody that wants to get involved with hockey. And it doesn't involve going pro in terms of playing the National Hockey League. 
I think that's what's important for people to realize. There's a whole business of hockey that's out there that's available to people if you take your time to take the proper steps and even to network. And Brett Peterson won a national championship with Boston College. He played in the minors for a while. He realized he wasn't going to play in the National Hockey League, but he became a player agent, learned the business, worked with Bill Zito before at Acme Sports, and now he's the first black assistant general manager of the National Hockey League. So for all the people and the kids out there, whether you're black or white, male or female, you don't have to play in the NHL to be involved at the highest level of the game. You can work on the business side of the game and still have a great life. After watching that interview, KT, it seems like every other week I'm watching Anson on TV or on the internet doing some kind of work. I'm trying to figure out who works harder, Catherine Tappen or Anson Carter. <laughs> oh, right it's now, definitely Ace. <laughs> I think it might be Ace. I, I might say Keith Jones. <laughs> That's true, too. That is, no, we can't give him any more credit. We, we He's never worked a day in his life, Keith anymore. Jones. Ace, <laughs> I, I loved, I loved um, Brett's story about growing up and how his parents didn't just put hockey on him. It kind of was the way they just needed him to get rid of all this energy he had as a young kid. And his mom needed to find him a place where he could release a lot of that energy in Albany, New York. It was, it was going to be, it was hockey. So, you know, there's a reason I just love how hearing how people get into the sport because it's all different, how everyone got involved and yet somehow it ends up becoming such a big part of their lives. You're right, KT. I mean, the fact that his parents threw him out there, I mean, I had to beg my parents to play hockey. I was like, please let me play. And it only was because my sister played soccer and my parents wanted to treat us equally. That's why they allowed me to play hockey. Little they know hockey's going to cost $3,000 in equipment <laughs> and registration. Like the sticker shock almost killed them. But <laughs> I had to beg my folks, but Brett's parents just said, here, go ahead and play. So that's amazing. You know, they hear that parents are out there that see hockey as a place where they feel like their kid could be accepted and want to play and fall in love with the sport. I mean, that story can be told all across Canada. That story can be told all across the U.S. also. Yeah. Yeah, humble upbringings. There's a lot of those in hockey, and somehow parents find a way. You guys can speak to that to put their kids on the ice, given the cost that it is. And I know, uh, Anson, you're doing a lot of work in the community, especially here in New York in particular with the Rangers and um, the Boys and Girls Club at Kipps Bay to, to make this game accessible to everyone so that anybody can play regardless of the equipment, you know, and um, that's a tremendous work. So Great conversation with Brett Peterson. Again, youtube.com slash hockey culture. You can find all of Anson's conversations with Kendall Coyne Schofield and Kim Davis and, and uh, a lot of hockey players as well. So, uh, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of Our Line Starts. It's been fun as always. We'll have more topics next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.